this is the Captain Pack Podcast. I'm John Wainwright, and today we're going to be talking about craft beer law in California, which is probably one of the more fun topics we've talked about so far. And to talk about that, we've got Tom McCormick of the California Craft Brewers Association and McGeorge Professor and craft beer law guru, Dan Croxel. So thank you both for joining us today. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for having us. So, Tom, just as a starter, I want to say of all the special interests in Sacramento, you have by far my favorite. Uh, <laughs> my favorite, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're all in on that. Yeah. Um, so can you just give us a brief overview of the craft beer industry in California, like what it looks like, kind of like number of breweries, and what does that look like compared to like the really big macro breweries, the AB InBevs, the Miller Coors of the world? Well, uh, we have, as of this morning, 952 craft breweries in the state of California. And that could have changed by now if one may have <laughs> opened up today. It's evolving pretty quickly. So California has more craft breweries than any other state in the country. No surprise there. But 950 plus breweries, that's a lot. It's been growing tremendously over the the last, particularly the last four to five years, where we've seen new breweries opening up on the pace of about a hundred every year for the last four to five years. So that's beginning to slow down just a little bit. Well, that's um, a pretty impressive clip to be growing. Oh, so. it's just um, amazing. Yeah, uh, it's, it's been hard to keep up with that. But craft breweries in California brew just about four million barrels, and I guess to put that into perspective, Anheuser Busch InBev makes 125 million barrels approximately in all of their breweries. We represent everyone from Sierra Nevada on down to literally one person little operations. Sierra Nevada, again to put that into perspective, brews about a million barrels a year here in their Chico brewery. So I was actually um, just there last weekend and yeah, <laughs> it's mind blowing to think it's a beautiful facility. Yeah. Beautiful, like to think beautiful place. You know, a facility yeah. that massive with how much they put out and that's just right. A teeny fraction of what Budweiser does. Exactly. It's less than 1%. And so um, just to, again, put that into comparison. So Sierra Nevada is the largest craft brewery in, in California. And um, it's getting harder to define what craft brewery is. And just for our data set purposes and for our membership purposes, quote unquote, craft breweries that have been acquired in part or wholly by large global brewing companies are no longer able to be a member of our association and, and not in that data set for craft breweries. So that would include Golden Road, Ballast Point, Lagunitas, those all to name a few, have been purchased by very, very large global breweries. Okay. I've, I've heard a myth, and maybe you know if this is true or not, but you know the AB InBev brewery down in Van Nuys? Yes. Uh-huh. I've Someone told me that they did the math and that that brewery alone can can brew more beer than all of California independent craft combined. That you know, makes, oh yeah. Just yeah. that one brewery. It's just, yeah, it's yeah that, right. It's crazy. It gives you, a, again, perspective of size. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've got that down to a science. So. Yes. Yes. And it's mostly automated, which is pretty, pretty amazing. You yeah. walk into these large breweries, Anheuser-Busch, Miller, Coors, and you hardly see anybody. And yet they're brewing all this beer. And you go to Sierra Nevada, it's just teeming with people. So big difference on that level. Yeah. And just the fact that they've got that brewing process down to such an exact science. Yeah. yeah. It's 
that every beer is going to taste exactly the same every yeah, single time. It's no just, matter where it's brewed, it's pretty, it's yeah. very impressive. Yeah. Although we'll get into the business practices, which may be a little less impressive on their part. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that does kind of lead me towards one piece of legislation, because this is kind of more of a policy podcast than a beer podcast. So there was one bill this past year, AB 2573, that was a fairly important one to the craft beer industry. Could you maybe just kind of talk about what that bill would have done and why it was so important to the industry. Sure. And so here in California and states across the country and also on a federal level, we have what are called Tidehouse laws, which are byproduct of prohibition. And essentially what that means is that a manufacturer, a brewer or a winery or distiller cannot pay retailers for shelf space. You can't provide anything of value to a retailer to induce them to carry your brand. There are exceptions to that in the statute, and so every state's a little bit different. But for the most part, Tidehouse laws here in California are, are pretty strict and are very, very important to craft breweries, to the small brewers, because it creates an equal playing field for the small companies by providing equal access to the marketplace for any beer brand, large or small. If you can't pay a retailer to carry your brand, then it really is leaves it up to the retailer to, to choose brands that are going to sell well and that the consumer wants and that they just want to carry and not how much they get paid as an inducement. So these Tidehouse laws are very important to protecting the craft beer or craft brewing industry. So as a trade association, and we do primarily government affairs, legislative advocacy work at the state capitol, that is a big part of what we do is uh, Tidehouse laws are constantly trying to be chipped away at by large corporations because they have far greater resources and would benefit if they could pay retailers to place their brand at the retail. So this particular bill would have allowed, it would have really kind of opened the door to Tidehouse laws. Specifically, it would have allowed a brewery to give away glassware, cases of glassware to retailers. Now that may sound very small and very benign, but in the real world out there in the marketplace, when you're out in the trenches selling beer, if a brewery has a whole lot of glassware to give away, they can go into a retailer and say, Mr. Retailer, if you put my beer on this tap handle, we'll give you lots of free glassware for your retail account. And so... And I can see how that's kind of almost a little bit of a loophole in that Tide House law where it's not... You're not giving... Like, I'm not paying you X number of dollars for X square footage of shelf space. But right, right. I'm making it much more beneficial to you to make sure my beers are on. Exactly. It on is providing shelves. something of value to the retail in exchange for placement. So we fight to uh, protect tight house laws. And so we uh, we oppose this this bill. Yeah. And that's... I mean, I'm trying to get a sense of... Because I know, like, a lot of breweries do have, like, their own kind of, like, branded glassware that you can buy in the tap room. How would something like that have favored Big Beer over the craft brewer in that fight for shelf space or tap handles? Well, big breweries, and these are very large corporations with a lot of resources, so mm -hmm. they can easily afford to give away cases of branded glassware at no cost to a retailer. And that's not so easy for a small little brewery that's <clears throat> trying to get their brand out there and just doesn't 
have the financial resources to give away all this glassware to all these retailers. I mean, it really does add up. So the cost of that can be over time significant. And again, if this bill had passed, it would have kind of opened that door to that slippery slope. But gotcha. um, again, you know, it just gets into a question of size where the larger breweries have more financial resources to be able to give away glassware. Retailers, as it is now, can buy the glassware and that's how they get the branded glassware. But currently you cannot give away glassware to a retailer. It was encouraging because the in his vetoing it, the governor said that this bill would have given an unfair advantage to large companies over the small ones. <laughs> and I think it's interesting. This is a, a seems to be, to me, uh, a multi-front battle fought by large corporations. It was just litigated in the Ninth Circuit a year and a half ago in a case called Retail Digital Network, whereby they challenged a similar law, Business Professions Code Section 25503H, which prevents a manufacturer from purchasing advertising space. And they went after that in the court. By they, you mean... The bigger beer company, any manufacturer, any manufacturer, okay. advertising. So you can you can give them give away advertising space to us under certain conditions. It can't be over. I think it's sixty inches. Anyway, there's restrictions, but so they went after that pretty hard on the litigation front too. And ultimately, the the Ninth Circuit on Bonk held that uh, that provision survives intermediate scrutiny and and it stands here in California. But I expect to see more of those kinds of challenges. So one of the other things I want to get at, kind of getting to maybe more kind of a broader strategy question for. The Brewers Association. I mean, is are bills like AB twenty five seventy three kind of indicative of your general legislative strategy? Do you find yourself playing defense more often than not in the legislature or in regulatory arenas? Yes, absolutely. We do try, and we have sponsored and and passed had bills passed in in the past. They're usually pretty small things, and we really work with the other stakeholders out there in the alcohol beverage industry before having these bills introduced and going forward to make sure that there's not opposition to them. And sometimes there's a little bit of opposition and we'll amend some things to get everybody on board. We never really have controversial bills out there in which there's kind of a tug and tug of war between oppose and, and support. Generally, our, our bills, once we get them introduced, are supported by everybody. So we have in, done some bill introductions, but for the most part, we are constantly playing defense. Okay. And... Um... You know, obviously, a lot of playing defense is kind of trying to figure out what is coming up on the horizon and figuring out how you can position yourself for that. What are some of the major, like, kind of challenges that you see on the horizon for craft beer in California? I know, I mean, it's a tight, it sounds like just from the conversation we've had about glassware that, like, the whole industry runs on really tight margins. So it's tough to, it's not something you go and do to get rich. So I'd imagine things like California's increasing minimum wage is a challenge. I'd imagine our, you know, legalized recreational cannabis is a challenge. Um, I mean, what are some of the other things coming up that... There's all (laughs) kinds of things out there. Just to give you an idea, recycling, you know, that's a a big issue every year, how to fund that. And so we we get involved in that. We're trying not to have the price of glass go too high that our members can't afford to put beer into glass. So there's things like that. There's water issues almost every year. There's proposals to increase the excise tax on alcohol every year, pretty much. And again, we... Our members pay all the taxes that any business pays, but there's also an excise tax on alcoholic beverages in California as well. But the big issues are really kind of protecting those privileges and those rights that we currently have as 
beer manufacturers such as tasting rooms, self-distribution, and the Tidehouse laws that I that I mentioned. Tasting rooms are very, very important to us, and yet there are others out there in the industry and around that uh, would like to see limitations on brewery tasting rooms and also with self-distribution. But these rights are very, very important to our industry, so we work very hard to protect those. So in the future, I see uh, threats to erode or take away those privileges. Okay. Do you see any? Or no, I was going to say not all states allow that. Like um, I was just looking recently, Nevada, for example, doesn't allow self-distribution you can't sell direct out of your tap room. I don't even know how you would get open in this climate or, or have any kind of revenue if you were just dealing with wholesale only. I think it'd be incredibly tough. So I don't think we can over, overstate the importance of direct sales out of the tap room. And California also has a benefit of allowing up to six duplicate licenses. So you see a brewery that has maybe two satellite tap rooms, um, and you're allowed up to up to six of those. So it's as as far as regulatory climates go, I'd say that California's actually a little bit ahead of most of the other states out there. Hmm. Do you foresee any other kind of like major structural changes? Like, is there any chance of something like, say, like alcohol franchise laws coming to California as opposed to kind of the tight house laws that we have now? Or there's always <laughs> those possibilities. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nothing surprises me anymore. And um, it's getting very, very competitive. Uh, you know, beer sales in general are flat, maybe even down a little bit. And that market share is going a little bit to spirits, a little bit to wine. We see the legalization of recreational use, adult use of cannabis that may further uh, compete with alcohol sales, with beer sales. So it's a very, very competitive out there. And the big global breweries, as I mentioned, have bought into the craft segment. That's made it very, very difficult and, and challenging for our our uh, members who are independently owned. So when it gets competitive like that, anything can happen. And there's special interests out there that can introduce legislation to change the laws and to change the current structure to their benefit. And if it's to their benefit, it's probably not to our benefit. <laughs> so, One thing you mentioned, I think that's really important, is the influx of the bigger corporations purchasing former craft breweries and immediately you might think of like consumer confusion i have friends and family who are, are proud that they for a kids party or something they hey look we bought this golden road so consumer confusion is one thing but another thing that's been really giving me heartburn is if they can mass produce goose island for example could mass produce yeah. a ton of beer and sell it at a loss for 185 bucks a half barrel where a local independent craft brewer can't make money at 195 and if they're flooding that market over the years over the years it's, it seems like there's a high possibility for a starve out scenario for a lot of independent craft brewers who can't sell the beer at that at that price and lose money so i think it's a bigger problem than just consumer confusion it's <laughs> it's actually um, intentional undercutting in my view mm. in terms of how much they're selling like beer for interesting I know we've talked a lot about the challenges of the industry. What are some of the pros to particularly having a craft brewery in California as opposed to other states? Well, California has, without question, the most liberal uh, regulation, regulatory structure for small breweries. So it's, it's our regulatory structure here in California is more conducive to opening a small brewery than any other state in the country, including, as we alluded to, self-distribution with basically no restrictions, tasting rooms with no restrictions. You can sell directly to the consumer for off-site consumption. You can do direct delivery to the consumer here in California. It's a very expensive state to do 
business in, generally speaking, overall. But in terms of starting a small brewery, we have all these allowances that just make it easier to structure your business in such a way that you have that revenue to sustain and grow your business. So California is probably, you know, I won't say the easiest, but the most conducive state to opening a craft brewery, possibly in the country. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, if folks wanted to learn more about the industry other than, you know, their local craft brewery, where could they go to learn more? Well, they can go on our website, uh, which is californiacraftbeer.com. And so we have a lot of resources there. And a great way to learn about the industry is just to go down to your local brewery and hang out and, and talk to the brewer and talk to the owner. And, and that's really what's wonderful about it. And that's why people love, I think, going to brewery tasting rooms is you are literally sitting there where the beer is made. So not only is the beer very fresh and well taken care of, but, you know, you often can talk to the owner or co-owner or the brewmaster. And we love to share our stories and love to talk about the industry. We also have the California Craft Beer Summit, which has been here in Sacramento the last four years. Next year, it's in Long Beach in the second week of September. It's open to the public as well as the industry. And there's all kinds of seminars and workshops and big uh, expo trade show and a big beer festival on Saturday. So that's the festival multiple times. Yeah. California <laughs> Been to Dr. Craft. Bill's Beer and Donut pairings a couple times. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, that's California Craft Beer Summit. You can Google that to find out more about that. But that's a fun experience for the beer enthusiast. Yeah. If they're legal nerds, they can look at craftbeerprofessor.com <laughs> and write legal commentary on that. That's my way. But they can follow you on Twitter. Or Twitter. I do that too. Right. What's your handle again on Twitter? It's uh... I couldn't fit craft beer law prof, so it, has, it had to be a good beer law prof. Okay. Yeah, at Good Beer Law Prof. All right. Well, Tom, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Thanks again for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts or subscribe to the Cap Impact Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Cap Impact CA on both of those platforms, or you can check out our website, www.capimpactca.com. Thanks for listening to today's show. Talk to you again next week.